have you ever told a lie? If you just answered no to that, I want you to give me your parents' phone number. I am sure that they have some stories to tell. We each, at some point, try on this behavior. When we start to realize we have power over our lives, and we start to struggle with our own autonomy and attempt to control the outcome in the situations that we find ourselves in. For example, a three-year-old who vehemently denies having colored on the wall even as she stands there with the red marker still in her hand uncapped and at the ready. She is insistent that we believe in her innocence, practicing what it is to stand on her own, to take a different path, trying out what it is like not to tell mommy every thought and action. It is part of our human development as we realize that we are our own individual, separate from our parents, and that we have some control over the path our lives will take. So this is not some character, character flaw that we have to hide away from the world. It is a natural step in our development, testing our autonomy, versus dependence on authority. And because, hopefully, we have progressed past that step in our development, we all know that we have that capacity to lie and to manipulate and to attempt to control the outcome and make sure that it goes towards our advantage. And most of the time, we realize that it is not in our best interest to do this, and hopefully we refrain from this behavior. Peter is in a slightly different situation from that three-year-old standing with the marker, but he is lying. He is practicing a well-honed skill, the skill of deception. And we are sympathetic to him. We can put ourselves in his place and understand how he arrived at making the choice to lie, to deny Jesus. This is not some thoughtless, casual denial of Christ but a desperate act of self-protection. He disowns Christ because of danger. Peter fears for his own life. He fears for his own safety as he watches the arrest and trial of Jesus. He tries to stay close to this man he has come to love, to revere as his teacher, his rabbi, and yet remaining physically near him causes Peter to find himself, his own life, 
in peril. I hope you have never found yourself in the situation of mortal peril. I have. When you are in that place, you are profoundly aware of how vulnerable you are. And you fight to contain the fear that threatens to drive your actions. You feel such desperation that base animal instincts start to take over your body. And your body begins to do what is needed to sustain and protect your life. These are powerful forces combating Peter's love and fidelity to Jesus. And so we are sympathetic to his instinct for self-protection, his lie to deceive the crowd. It hurts him a little, that first lie of denial. It hurts him because Peter believed heart and soul that Jesus was the Messiah. Peter was the one who stood on the mount at the transfiguration. He was ready to build a temple there to honor Jesus. And on that mount, Peter received instruction from God that Jesus was God's son and that Peter should listen to him alone. Peter is the disciple that Jesus said was the rock upon which he would build his church. Throughout their journey together, Peter has been known as the one who is not shy about speaking his mind, but also about speaking from his heart. So Peter's struggles here are very real. In his denial of Jesus, we see not only a very human, self-protective reaction to danger, but we also see a retreat from the person others knew Peter to be and a change in Peter's relationship with Jesus. There were several witnesses to Peter's association with Jesus as one of the disciples. Their ministry was public. It was an absurd lie to try and tell. And so in this moment of denial, we see Peter retreat from proclamation, from exuberant assurance of the Messiah, to selfish denial of Christ. We see one of God's beloved retreating into weakness, becoming less than himself, falling into sin. And once the lie starts and he has disowned Jesus once, 
The temptation to persist in the lie is too great. And Peter continues his denial more vehement each time. This sin is like the opening of a floodgate. You intend to let only a little water out, a little lie. And with that crack of an opening, the weakness that that crack allows causes the water to come rushing out. And soon the lies flow out of him one after another. God's love is never far from us. Even when we become less than ourselves, even when we succumb to sin. Jesus sees Peter, sees him fully in his weakness, in his struggle, in his fear, in his sadness. And Jesus responds with compassion. He looks Peter in the eye. He looks into the window of Peter's soul. And even though he had just surrendered his life into the hands of sinful people, Jesus reaches out and ministers to Peter with a loving gaze. A gaze that helps Peter to remember. A gaze that calls Peter into repentance. And the tears flow, and Peter seeks forgiveness. Jesus looked upon the chief priests, and his gaze made no impression on any of them, nothing like what happened with Peter. The grace of God was in their gaze, and Peter's heart, Peter's soul, Peter's conscience found again its bearing, remembered its home rooted in the love of God. And through the tears, through his repentance, through divine grace, Peter is restored. Nothing could keep Peter from the love of God. Neither his own sin of denial, nor the hostile situation surrounding Jesus and Peter in this exchange. Nothing could stop Jesus' love from restoring Peter. We, like Peter, fail Christ we succumb to our self-interests and become less than ourselves. And still Christ remains faithful to us. God locks his gaze upon us with unending love and bids us to repent. Face your weakness. 
face our failings. Remember that you are not autonomous, but utterly dependent upon God's grace. Set the compass of your heart back on God, and Jesus will restore you. But first, weep.